All right, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Buffalo Beat. Thank you very much for joining us here on the Athletic Podcast Network. My name is Joe Piscali. With me, as always, is my co-host of the Buffalo Beat, Matthew Fairburn. And last week, we discussed the offense, some of the different things that we're looking forward to, to tracking at training camp, some of the things perhaps we missed throughout uh, throughout the spring but uh, but more often than not, it it all kind of came back to Josh Allen. But this week, we're going to take a break from Josh Allen, um, unless he just uh, seeps his way into the conversation, as he always does. Um, we wanted to take a look at the defense, because while it has fewer questions than perhaps the offense and trying to come together, they still have questions all the same as to what it will look like, um, different ways that they can become more effective, uh, perhaps some weaknesses that that they might have uh, throughout throughout the the eleven guys on defense, and and maybe even some position battles as well, because that uh, there are some some sneaky ones in in uh, what the Bills are trying to do this off season, and and certainly how they're going about building their depth too. So a lot of lot of stuff to get to, but uh, I think the first Thing that kind of pops to mind in terms of biggest question for this year's team for the Bills, and and certainly the training camp uh, is going to help us answer some of that, is what the pass rushing is going to look like, specifically from the edges. You know, the Bills went out and they brought in three separate players this offseason in Mario Addison, Quentin Jefferson. They drafted AJ Epinesa with their second round pick. So all of these, all of these. Th- these guys will join Jerry Hughes and conceivably make the top four of the defensive ends form the rotation that that uh, they hold so near and dear to their hearts and and from there. But we, that also kind of leaves out the whole Trent Murphy discussion and Daryl Johnson is another one who kind of plays into this. Mike Love to a lesser degree. There are definitely different aspects to this as to how it's going to play out and quite frankly how effective it's going to be and if it's going to be legitimately different than what we saw from them in 2019 which was some good pressure but inconsistent pressure and not always not always the the type of pressure that they needed from both sides of the edges there so there's there's a lot to chew on in terms of the pass rushers yeah i you know I feel like what we missed in the spring with this group is what, you know, how they'll deploy all these players and how they'll deal with the loss of Lorenzo Alexander and the piece that he played in the pass rush the last couple of years. But in particular with the guys that are there, the guys that they have, the, the ones that they added, Quentin Jefferson can move around. Vernon Butler can move around. And that means that, you know, they could get a little bit creative with how they do things. And one thing that, you know, we haven't seen a ton of, but have seen in spots that I think is an interesting variable to the pass rush is finding a way to get Tremaine Edmonds a little more involved in it. Uh, And, you know, he's proven that, that he can, you know, blitz in the right situations, but and they've blitzed a little bit more with their linebackers. But I think that could be a, a real weapon for this team. You know, when you, you look at what they have, you know, they're losing Lorenzo Alexander, who was the most, you know, the ultimate 
movable piece on defense and the best example of a linebacker who when deployed properly can uh, you know impact a game but they have two guys in Tremaine Edmonds and Matt Milano uh, who have the movement skills and the explosion to be that type of impact player too so it strikes me that this pass rushing group they did not go out and get Jadavian Clowney they did not go out and get Yannick Ngakwe but what I think their their motive is and what the aim for them is is that they can scheme things up and as a collective put more pressure on the quarterback it might not mean that you know they have three 10 sack players but they can put more pressure on the quarterback as a group by mixing things up and getting a little bit creative with how they do things. And they have a pretty deep front that will give them the ability to do that. Yeah. I, the Tremaine Edmonds one point is a, is a good one because that's like that, that next element to his game. And, you know, I, I think back to some of the conversations we had earlier in the off season about things they can do to kind of, um, bridge the gap from what was lost with Lorenzo Alexander last year and how really important he was to that entire operation because how he was able to, uh, I mean, most times when he was on the field in, in a third down setting, he was probably rushing the passer. And that was basically the entirety of his role, but he would show to opposing offenses a few times each game that he could drop back into coverage. So teams had to account for him. They couldn't just look at him as a, as a known quantity uh, and, and what, what he is every time he's on the field. And that's something that they're going to miss when they have, uh, when they go into these nickel based looks. And I, you know, a lot of that brings on the discussion. Okay. Well, do they mo- do more three man fronts? Um, what do they do with Tremaine Edmonds? Does the big nickel become a bit more of a, a technique that they use if, if they identify a good big nickel for them? And, but I think Tremaine Edmonds is a, is an interesting piece to this because, he has the ultimate versatility because he's really stinking good in coverage. And I don't even think he gets enough credit for how good he is in coverage with how tall and long he is, how much of a headache he is in in zone coverages for quarterbacks to throw over him. He can make up a lot of ground in a hurry. He's got um, a good uh, hip fluidity to where uh, he doesn't get, he can change direction really quickly. All of these different things are that come in a, a package as, as, uh, as tall and, and big as he is, that's, that's, a, that's a weapon on third downs. And when you add that to potentially being that, that guy to, uh, to also blitz the quarterback, you also have to find a sweet spot because you don't want to take him out of the coverage side of things too often because he's so good at it. I mean, Matt Milano is really good, but if you're having a, a three-man front and you're having A.J. Klein out there on, on third downs along with you, you're going to lose quite a bit in coverage um, from Tremaine Edmonds when you send him on a blitz to A.J. Klein. So that, that they just need to be a little bit careful with that. But all that said, I mean, he can become a dynamic defender for them and certainly take off some pressure from the the edges to put pressure on the opposing quarterbacks. But the one thing for sure is the edge rushers, their best friend, 
is going to be at Oliver if he develops the way that I think he probably will then that's going to certainly help them. We'll probably have Mario Addison lining up from the left side, Jerry Hughes from the right side, A.J. Epinesa in the rotational from the left side, um, Quentin Jefferson on the right side. I, I just wonder how impactful they'll be because they don't have a speed guy outside of Jerry Hughes anymore. That's, that's to me, if, if they are able to bring down the quarterback and provide more pressure than they were last year, that can take this, this defense to a new stratosphere. Yeah, barring a huge jump from Daryl Johnson or Mike Love, I don't see a speed guy on the roster capable right. of, uh, you know, being that type of guy that can, you know, command a lot of attention from an offensive line. I, I think you're right that if it's going to happen from an individual standpoint, uh, it's going to have to be at Oliver. Uh, in mm-hmm. a lot, of, and and Mario Addison's a productive player too. He's not necessarily a, a speed guy, but he's been really productive. So I, I think he'll he'll be an asset. But in terms of guys capable of taking that jump from being, uh, you know, getting into that elite area of of pressuring the quarterback, Ed Oliver is the one. And you know, we've talked about the the importance of getting pressure from the interior, and mm-hmm. it's kind of just math in some ways you're closer to the quarterback and you can get there quicker so less distance traveled (laughs) yeah that's always going to put uh you know that's always going to make that a little bit more important and uh, make that more dangerous if that's something that that you can get and I think Oliver taking a jump is, is probably the best thing that can you know potentially happen to this this defensive line uh even more important than some of the additions that they made but I, I am definitely interested to see how, you know, I think Addison is pretty cut and dry. He'll be, you know, playing that that defensive end role opposite Jerry Hughes. But mm-hmm. the other guys that they added, even A.J. Epinesa and Quentin Jefferson and Vernon Butler, they can move around. You know, they've mentioned the idea of kicking Epinesa inside on passing downs. Uh, you know, It would be Jefferson, smart. He was pretty good at it. Yeah, Quentin Jefferson can kick inside as well uh, when needed. Vernon Butler can move back and forth uh, between tackle spots. And they paid, you know, Jefferson and Butler decent money. Uh, they didn't, you know, get them for complete bargain deals. So they have something in mind. And you can envision a few different ways uh, where, how it could all play out. And we probably would have gotten a better idea if they had spring practices to to look at in terms of where these guys would line up what type of packages they might try to use um you know to to create some pressure but i think they have i think they probably recognized pretty early on that they were going to lose jordan phillips and they were going to lose shaq lawson yeah i think they also recognized shortly after that that they weren't going to get Jadavian Clowney or yannick Ngakwe. And then I think from there, they said, you know, all right, if there's not going to necessarily be a rookie pass rusher that will instantly provide what a Jadavian Clowney would. So what are some other ways that we can get creative about this and, you know, have a, a little bit more of a, you know, versatile group up front that can, you know, provide some depth and wear teams down over the course of a game. And I think that's how they put together this defensive line. And I think while the top end talent is still missing, 
they're pretty deep and they're deeper than they were last year. I think they got better than they did even losing Jordan Phillips and, and Shaq Lawson. Yeah, I, I, I agree there. I mean, I, I don't think our listeners will be necessarily surprised to hear that I wasn't all that um, big of a uh, Jordan Phillips enthusiast. I think his sacks massively overrated uh, the rest of his performance. And I, quite frankly, I think his production was unsustainable um, in in another season. It's it, it looks it has all the feel of a season that was an anomaly for a player that has never had a season like that before, and the percent the percentages of of how they increased and you know sacks to pressures percentages. Um, how how those kind of went that it's just a a very curious growth from one year to the next that quite frankly looks unsustainable so uh, I do think that in terms of rotation and getting at Oliver on the field more than Jordan Phillips is best for the Bills in the long run because I do think Oliver was the superior player last year I don't think it was particularly close and I think getting him out there, those those 60, 65, 70% of snaps, and then allowing Vernon Butler, Harrison Phillips, um, Quentin Jefferson, A.J. Epinesa, whoever fills in uh, in you know in unison with with Oliver whenever he needs some time on the sidelines, I think that, that will end up being a very good situation for the Bills because they don't have to uh, they don't have to keep their their prize at bay anymore this is this is now at Oliver's show in the middle of that defense and um, I think they're going to be that much better for it but I think for the, for the most part how they slice and dice the defensive line is such a compelling thing and I know you alluded to it but you know just having the flexibility uh it, Mario Addison can even kick inside to uh, to defensive tackle, and he did so at at Carolina. I mean, Jerry Hughes is probably the one that's that's set in stone over at right defensive end. But I also think that they wouldn't be hesitant to flip the two ends with uh, with Addison and and Hughes because Hughes, before he became their locked in right defensive end, was the starting left defensive end opposite. Mario Williams. Um, so th- there was there was a lot of uh, a lot of intrigue with with Jerry Hughes and and what he can do, and specifically against some slower footed right tackles. That's that's a potential uh, a thing to exploit for them. But so many different ways that they can do it, uh, and and certainly they're going to have to find the right mix of roles and percentages to keep everyone fresh and and into it. And all of these different things, uh, it is going to be from a defensive line perspective. It is going to be probably a much different look than what we have seen from them the last couple of years. Yeah, and I think you know we talked on on the last episode about how this off season and and everything will impact the ability for you know the offense to come together and for guys to take needed steps in their development. Everything we're talking about here with the pass rush and the defensive line conceivably would be hard to achieve in a shortened off season and one that will look unconventional potentially in terms of practice time. However, 
these guys that they added, Mario Addison and Vernon Butler in particular, know this defensive scheme. They're going to be playing for the same position coach that they had in Carolina, who was then defensive coordinator. Quentin Jefferson has familiarity in a similar scheme, not a one-to-one match, but he's well-versed in a lot of different positions along the defensive line to the point where he should be able to plug in and go. And obviously the rest of these guys outside of Epinesa, who you know maybe takes a little bit longer because he's a rookie, but they're not really counting on him uh, to be you know, a main contributor in year one. I think they, they're they okay um, to have all these new pieces and to maybe be trying some new things because of what they did, you know, at defensive line coach and because of some of the, you know, the, the familiarity they have with some of the pieces they brought in. So I, I don't think it's going to be a huge, huge problem. And in fact, I think, you know, it's where the defense as a whole has a leg up is that, you know, they they have so much comfortability with one another in the secondary and, you know, these linebackers having played together now and Leslie Frazier coming back. All of it uh, points to another solid year for the defense, whether they can take, you know, the next step. I, I don't look at the defense and say, you know, some people might look at it and say, where can they, you know, improve to to become the best defense in the league and certainly it's always the aim and I think creating more big plays would be um, the way to do it those are the teams that that end up being in the top two or three in defense or the ones where you're you're afraid they're going to score points on you when they're on the field and I don't think the Bills have necessarily been that defense under Sean McDermott but I also don't look at this defense and wonder if the bottom is going to fall out. I think you're looking at a solid top 10 defense uh, unless there's a a bunch of injuries that take place. And the, you know, the need for improvement on this team is on the other side of the ball. How you go from being a team that makes the playoffs to a team that wins playoff games is on offense for this group, not on defense, because I, I think the, even with the new pieces they added, there's so much, um, you know, so much time spent working with one another and um, you know so many familiar faces around that I think they're going to be in good shape uh, on that side of the ball even with even with a little bit of um, movement in terms of you know roster yeah. tinkering up front yeah from a from a macro look at everything you you look at the defense and the continuity that they bring and conventional wisdom in the NFL points to Early on in training camp, early on in the spring, the offenses are always behind the defense because they're trying to get get stuff together. So in, in a year where the Bills or the entire NFL ha- will have this shortened training camp likely um, in this buildup to a regular season, then they're going to have probably more of a leg up this year against opposing offenses than they would have in other years. So that's going to work something very much in their favor, and that'll be something to track as we kind of go forward. All right, let's go to the defensive backfield because I think when you look at what the Bills are are trying to put together on defense, they have the the really good starters, borderline great starters uh, with most of them. Tredavious White at corner. We've got Micah Hyde at free safety. Jordan Poyer at strong safety. Sometimes the two safeties interchange. 
But that other cornerback spot, the other two cornerback spots I'll even throw in here, are ones where are they in question a little bit? And, you know, Josh Norman always gets the uh, always gets the top draw for things that Bills fans are most concerned about when it comes to this defense. But I kind of wonder about that nickel role. And I know that they like Taron Johnson and that they they believed they believed in him as a rookie strongly enough to give him that that big role right away into his career. But I also think back to certain things that have happened throughout his two-year career at Buffalo so far. All of the different injuries are the thing that everyone is going to talk about and and certainly that's uh, disconcerting from a from a team perspective because if you can't stay on the field, then that isn't helping the team and then they're going to have to account for that with with other players that keep on the roster some of it is not Taron Johnson's fault because because you know sometimes injuries just happen I think he had a hamstring injury at, at one point last year that cost him a, a bunch of different uh, games but but something something like that you probably can't control but in terms of how he tackles and how he got that shoulder injury in his rookie season that's something that that comes down to technique and really being a smaller guy and and putting his body on the line like that it's something that they love but it's also a double-edged sword because it could also land him uh on the injured reserve by the end of the year needing needing shoulder surgery but i i do wonder that that's the obvious thing here with him i do wonder though what their view of him is internally for the long run because i think back to um to the end of last year where they were slowly working him back in but they were still mixing in saran neal they were still mixing in dean marlowe and at times kevin johnson it was kind of a four person unit based on down and distance and and situation as to who would get the snap on on defense and even in that uh that playoff game uh, against the Texans, I think Taron Johnson sustained an injury in the first half that we never found out what it was, and then he was gone for the rest of the game, and then they needed to depend on Saran Neal and uh, Dean Marlowe the rest of the way in that role. These are all just like examples that are cumulative, and that that uh, all underscores the point that I'm not sure that Taron Johnson is so good in coverage to warrant him having a safe hold on his job this summer. I, I don't know if maybe I'm, I'm overthinking it because we've had a lot of time to think about the roster, but but that's one of those spots that I think is a sneaky one where maybe the job is uh, up for grabs there. Yeah, I think at the very least, they've slowly started to experiment with different, you know, players mixing into that role, whether it's the the idea of a big nickel or just different players for different situations. And Saran Neal got a little bit more run last year. I think they viewed Dane Jackson, the the seventh round pick, as a boundary guy, but I, he also has he the should be a nickel. To, to kick into <laughs> nickel uh, if he yeah. needs to. EJ Gaines can play nickel, provided that he stays healthy. He's got the same problem Taron Johnson does. But how they figure out the that secondary will be a big storyline to follow going into the season because Josh Norman, you know, it sounds like they're optimistic that he'll bounce back and be closer to the player he was in Carolina than the one he was in Washington. 
but that's far from a guarantee. And, uh, you know, Levi Wallace was pretty good, um, but obviously they saw something that, that made them want to upgrade and uh, made them want to at least provide a little bit of competition for Levi Wallace. So I think Levi Wallace and Taron Johnson are the two guys that are, are definitely on the hot seat in that group. You know, they're returning most starters from last year. Um, you know, and outside of, you know, certainly Trent Murphy seems to be perpetually on the hot seat with this fan base and is even more so now, uh, given what they could save by cutting him. But in terms of guys that have, um, you know, a a hold on a starting job, I think Levi Wallace and Taron Johnson are the two, uh, on defense that, that have the most to worry about entering, uh, training camp and preseason, but, you know, and I'm considering nickel corner a starting job. Yeah. Yeah. Same. I, I don't think either of those guys are in jeopardy of, of missing the roster, but I think just in terms of um, holding on to their jobs that they had last year, uh, it's they're going to have to earn it. And I, I don't know that Levi Wallace, um, unless Josh Norman uh, continues some of the form he had in Washington last year, I think Levi Wallace is probably going to be on the sidelines for the majority uh, of, of games, and it'll be Norman starting opposite Tredavious White. But that's not to say that they're unhappy with Levi Wallace. I, I think we've talked about this a couple of times, but I think Levi Wallace was unfairly criticized by, by fans about his season as a whole last season. Um, I think for him, he had a couple of really poor games, and one of which being Cleveland. And that Cleveland one is one that kind of sticks in everybody's mind because he got beat for the touchdown late, and and he got beat for another touchdown. And it's a game they probably should have won on the road, but they didn't uh, against a Browns team that was pretty down at that point in their season. Uh, I think that one kind of sticks with everybody. But Wallace was actually pretty solid throughout the rest of the season to the point where he had some flashy games that that made you think okay there is some long-term starting potential here but I think providing a veteran option like Josh Norman is a smart approach because they have Levi Wallace under contract um, for next season or probably next season I mean I believe he's going to be a restricted free agent so they at least have roster control on him and I don't think they've given up on him. I, I think they just they just want him maybe the way that they did with some of their other young players, kind of look at things from the sideline and and allow yourself to grow from that perspective, talk with a bunch of different people. And and Levi Wallace is a smart guy too, so he's going to he's not going to, you know, just sulk about it. He's going to really put in the work to try and grow and learn from some of these veteran players. So I, I so I think Norman probably is is safely in there. I, you brought up Dane Jackson, which is a great name here, and I said he should be a nickel corner. He has everything they look for to be a good nickel corner in their system. Like he's got the the size, the speed, the explosiveness, uh, the tackling ability. Um, he's I think he's he could be better in coverage at at nickel than Taron Johnson is. Uh, all of these different things. I, I know they they said he could be a boundary corner because that's what he mostly was at Pitt. But I'll tell you what, he there are so many different things where he can that that little short area quickness where he can stop on a dime and and stay with a guy. 
that's that's going to be huge, especially in in this defense. If the if the nickel roll has to drop back into uh, into man to man coverage, that they need a guy that that can do all those things. And I don't know if Taron Johnson is the best at that. Um, so we'll have to see how that kind of goes. But uh, there is some worthwhile competition there for uh, for both of those guys as as they go forward. Yeah, I think the best case scenario for this secondary is that Josh Norman is closer to the Carolina version of Josh Norman than the Washington version. I think that right. makes everything you'd you'd rather have Levi Wallace in that you know developmental backup role a little bit and have him as depth um, because mm-hmm. even at his best he's not what Josh Norman was at his best. So. Um, I don't know that you can expect Josh Norman to be at that level, but if he's even anywhere close, um, you know, that's a pretty good sign for this secondary. You don't need just two corners. Uh, you don't need just three. I mean, having four uh, can be a, a really nice problem to have. And I do think Levi Wallace is not he, – he's far from a lost cause. Uh, you know, he's a guy that yeah. I think has some inconsistencies to, to even out and – probably leaves a a little something to be desired at times as a tackler but I think there's a lot there you know in terms of the way they like to play defense the the way he understands things and um, you know the way he you know kind of communicates with everybody else in the secondary I think he's shown some promise but Mm -hmm. you know there's a reason they went out and and took the shot on on Josh Norman that they did because if he is um, you know, what they hope, then, you know, that's good for, for the entire secondary, for the entire defense. And maybe it's a situation where, you know, it can be a platoon situation where both of those guys will be better off if they're mm-hmm. not playing 100% of the snaps. So a lot of different possibilities based on what they've brought in. And, you know, remember Brandon Bean, when he talked about the draft pick of Dane Jackson, said, you know, they went kind of back and forth on a few spots and picked Dane Jackson because they thought he had a clearer path to the roster. And so they envisioned some sort of role for him and, and given his ability to, to move around and, and play inside and outside, I think he's somebody to watch heading into, into training camp as well. Yeah, I totally agree. And the one thing that kind of sticks out about Dane Jackson, his, his skill set, perfect for special teams. I think he's going to fit in very well into what Heath Farwell tries to do. All right, so we've covered... A lot of the defense here. I mean, we haven't really touched too much on the linebackers, but those are those guys are pretty much set in stone. Edmonds, Milano, AJ Klein, not much, not much behind them. I'm sure some fans want to talk more about Vashawn Joseph because they don't really know about him, but we don't really know much about him at this point. He's he's just he's got to earn it like a like a lot of other players in uh, in this training camp and and to earn a spot. But the defense, it should be pretty good and like I mentioned before it they might have a leg up heading into the season and especially in training camp being able to you know hit the ground running and be able to um, really dominate practices and even more so than we've seen in other years at training camp just because this will be the first time the entire team is on the field together at one and I wonder if there's a trickle down effect into the season so we shall see all right Matthew Fairburn uh that is going to uh, do it for us uh, on this holiday weekend. You teased it last week. Fond words of farewell. What do you got for us? 
Yeah, you know, just hope everyone has a, a good 4th of July weekend and a, a 4th of July tip free of charge. Ooh. The the song you want as the, the soundtrack to your weekend is Blaine Gabbert, Real American. Find it on oh. YouTube and thank me later. I think it's it's there's no better soundtrack to to celebrate America's birthday uh, than that. So enjoy that, and we'll be talking to you. We'll be talking to you soon. It is glorious for what it's worth. So if you if you have never indulged, be sure to go to YouTube and find Blaine Gabbert is a real American. It's uh it's quite something. The vocals are incredible. Um, all right. That'll do it for us here on this episode of the Buffalo Beat. If uh, you have not subscribed to The Athletic, if if you do so now and go to theathletic.com slash thebuffalobeat, you can get 40% off your yearly subscription. You get to read all of the stuff from both of us and, uh, and certainly any other team that you are interested in. Um, in any league, really, uh, you'll be able to find some of the best writers in the country uh, and in their own local markets. So, again, that's at theathletic.com slash the and Buffalo the world. And Don't the world. And the world. That's right. Multiple, multiple that's right. countries. How dare I? I mean, I'm, I'm a Premier League, Premier League guy through and through, so they've got some fascinating stuff. They're actually stuff. playing right now. So they are. They are. It's there's been, actual things to, to, actual games to write about and cover. That's, that's been great. All right. Uh, Thank you, everyone, for listening to us. My name is Joe Piscalia for Matthew Fairburn. Thank you so much. Have a good holiday weekend, and we will talk to you soon as we get closer to training camp. See you then.